Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get to it. Okay, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word that is living and active. We thank you for just a community where we get to do this every week. We get to come and worship together. We get to share vision casting words. We get to dive into the knowledge of God together. Lord, we're so, we're so grateful for this community. We pray that you touch us tonight as we've been praying for that spirit of revelation. God, I pray that even tonight, Lord, we'd experience that. So we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the title for tonight is The King in His Beauty, The Beauty of the King. And so this, this topic is all about uh, the millennial kingdom, uh, which Brad's going to actually get to in a few weeks here in the book of Revelation, kind of more diving into the how the millennial kingdom works, what life will look like in the millennial kingdom. Uh, the session tonight is all about the king who is the center of that kingdom. It's a kingdom of the king, okay? And so kind of my heart for this session is we, we talk a lot about how, um, you know, Revelation 1.1, how the end times is really, uh, first and foremost, it's a, a study of the knowledge of God. It's the revelation of Jesus. And um, I don't know if it's true for you guys, but I know for me, it's so, it's so easy. I'm grateful for all of the details and the 150 chapters and the, the timeline and everything. So grateful. We need to know that. We need to get clarity on that. I know for me, my heart tends to be, tends to forget that the end times are about God. And it tends to lean into studying the facts, knowing the timeline, being prepared. And again, that's all good. But I think at the center that we need to be reminded of again and again and again, you guys know this verse. We need to be reminded that the end times is ultimately about Jesus. It's about the King being revealed. And so this session tonight is just, uh, basically they gave me the microphone for an hour and I'm just going to talk about all of the elements of Jesus' beauty and hope that it stirs your guys' hearts. Um, part of my intention is, uh, as I was studying, preparing this, there was, there's just so much, I've never like stared at all of the verses and there's, you know, I'm sure there's some that I didn't cover in the notes, but all the verses of Jesus being the king and what what his heart is like, what he's doing. I haven't ever like taken a, a time to study just the, the king aspect of it, Jesus's heart. And so as I was doing that, like there was just so many new ideas that I was singing on the piano through the verses. I was like, oh my gosh, like there's, there's a lot here and a lot here that um, someone studying, studying the end times for 10 years, uh, like there's, there's so much new stuff or new ideas coming to me. And so I hope I'm able to share some new, present some new verses or connect some dots um, in your mind and hearts and really get us excited about um, not just that Jesus is coming back, but like he's coming back to stay, to set up a kingdom. So yes, we're grateful that he's coming back, but that's all unto like this kingdom he's setting up. And so I hope to just stir up our faith, our love for the Lord looking at the beauty of the king. And so I'm going to use this word a bunch tonight. It's the word unique because the more we study and look at Jesus as the king, like he's, he's unique um, compared to all of the other kings on 
pretty much every front. I mean, the one that he has common is he's a man. And then pretty much every other one, it's like, okay, there's no other king like Jesus. And so this word unique is just going to be a common uh, thread over and over and over again, all these different attributes of Jesus's uniqueness. Okay, so that's kind of the intro. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to cover uh, a few different things. I'm going to start off kind of giving giving what Jesus has done. So it, every king has a, a, a list of, you know, a resume of how they got to be king. It didn't just happen. There was some, probably some fighting, probably some cool stuff that happens. So we're going to look at some of that. Then I'm going to spend the bulk of the time examining different character traits about Jesus, different parts of his heart that... You know, you've heard the analogy before, you lift up a diamond and you turn it and the different facets hit you a different way. Well, we're going to kind of do that, but with specifically with Jesus's heart. And so I'm really excited about that. And finally, we're going to wrap up with a, a vision that I had um, uh, just a couple years ago that is really, really dear to my heart uh, related to this topic. And I think it's going to be encouraging for you as well, which is why I'm going to share it. Okay, so the first part, uh, what this king had has done. So again, I told you, every king has a resume. You know, they did this. They conquered this person to get to office. They went to school for this amount of years. They did this awesome thing. They served on this chair or whatever. There, there's this long history of a king getting into office. And again, Jesus's, his is very unique, as we'll see here. So the first one, uh, Jesus died for those that he is ruling. So, um, and the key word is voluntarily died. There's been faithful kings over the you know history that have laid down their lives for their for their people, um, for their cause. I think if you went back to the moment where one of those kings was about to lay down his life and said, "Hey, man, like I know that you have this passion in your heart, but if I gave you the ch- choice right now, if you could live or die, like." what would you do? I think every one of them would say, yeah, I love my people, but if I have a chance to live like, and still love them, I'm going to choose that one. So I don't think any other king has like voluntarily said, I'm going to go because I choose to and die. Well, Jesus, obviously Jesus did that. And John 15, a verse you guys know, 13 says, greater love has no one than this to lay one's life down for his friends. <clears throat> and so here at the beginning of his resume. Again, Jesus voluntarily died for the ones he is going to be ruling someday, which already gives us a glimpse into his heart as the king. He didn't just die for us, but he he conquered all of the other kings and rulers of the earth. So again, the Jesus as the millennial king, that's after this epic storyline that we've been studying in the book of Revelation. It's kind of the you won the war and now ready go, a new age. And so Jesus, he, he defeated, you know, the Antichrist, who at that moment, the Antichrist will have possessed more uh, land, control, influence. He'll have more sway of the earth than any other king in human history. And so Jesus comes after the Guinness Book of World Records was just set. And he just like, you know, the Antichrist didn't have the title for long because Jesus takes it right from his hand. Jesus conquers every single king. And it says that uh, Psalm 47.2 says, For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all of the earth. And so there's, there's never, ever, ever been a king who has possessed the entire earth. Many, many have tried. Many have died trying. Many have given their lives. 
for this cause and failed. Never, ever has a king possessed all the earth. Jesus is going to do it. Again, right after the Antichrist just set the record, which I think is just kind of, you know, he didn't keep that for very long. Point C, Jesus, his uh, kingdom brings everlasting peace to the nations. Psalm 46, he makes the wars cease to the ends of the earth. He makes wars cease. There again, kings in history, there's been points of voluntary, or excuse me, points of momentary peace where, you know, all of the, there was wars and kings were defeated. One king was set in charge and then the, the, the waters were kind of still for a while, right? But like never has there been this everlasting peace, even with the, the, the uh, temporary peace that kingdoms and leaders have experienced in the past. Like there's always stuff bubbling under the surface of like, you know, you were just putting king, there's peace, but there's already a, one guy who's planning to raise up a coup and take you out or this one nation that, you know, wasn't a main player in that battle, but they're, they're kind of growing and in a, just a number of years, they're going to take you out. And so there's, there's never been like, like lasting peace where all of the kind of the core issues have been dealt with. And then this is a peace that covers every nation and that has never done before. So Jesus' resume is just, you know, bringing peace to the earth as the king of all the earth is kind of a big deal. Next one, Jesus had complete authority over the demonic realm. So just imagine this, every king that has ever, even Alexander the Great, like the, the one who, one of the kings who's possessed like the most amount of land, every other king in the height of their power, they were still enslaved to demons. They, there's never ever been a king who has had power over the spirit realm. Maybe they were interacting probably more than we would like. Probably, maybe they're interacting with Satan or they've been given a measure of influence, but they've never, there's never been man in charge of lower, you know, under them, demons. That has never, ever, ever happened. And so, and so Jesus is going to do this. Listen to, listen to Philippians 2, um, just kind of a new insight on this verse, a new way to take it. It says, every name, uh, uh, excuse me, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. So every knee will bow on earth, under the earth, in heaven. That's kind of everything. So all of the demons are going to bow before the Lord. So he's going to have on his resume power over the earth, peace to the nations, peace over demons. Well, if it could get any um, more, not only power over demons, he's got power over sin and death. Now, there's, there's really when it boils down to why do empires fall, it's not, uh, it, it boils down to sin. There is sin. It's, you know, there's sin in people's hearts, so rebellion arises. Sin in the, in the, the king gets boastful and proud, and he come, like he falls because of that. Like, sin is the main issue that no, no empire, no king has been able to overcome and is the reason that empires collapse. It's sin. And so, like, if we continued on 10 million more years and the issue with sin was never dealt with, there would never be a king who brought everlasting peace. Like, this, this sin was the, is the last enemy that's, that's, that's uh, in there for a reason. And so Jesus, um, in uh, Isaiah 25... It says, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud of sin. I just love that language, the shroud, like this, this black uh, drapery that just quenches out the light. So he destroys the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all the nations, and he will swallow up death forever. 
And so obviously Jesus died. He, Revelation 1, he took the keys of death and Hades. He's got that now. But he's still waiting in heaven to really ultimately deal with the issue of sin. And he'll do it um, gradually in the millennial kingdom. Ultimately, when at the end of the millennial kingdom, he'll throw death uh, into hell as well. And then finally, his peace um, touches creation and reverses the curse of sin. So uh, again, no other king has ever been able to like, deal with creation. So I gave you um, Isaiah 11. It says, the wolf and the lamb, the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion. So these are our creatures that don't normally get along together. They're going to be getting along together. At the beginning, you open your Bible to the uh, beginning of Genesis, like mankind lived for hundreds of years. What happened? Well, sin. And so Jesus deals with sin. And then we see in the millennium, Isaiah 65, um, it says, Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought of as a mere child. The one who fails to reach 100 years old will be accursed. And so like in the millennium, Jesus, like, his rulership re starts to reverse the, the cause of sin, like, the, the, all of creation being, moving back towards being restored to the Garden of Eden. Like, no other king has done any of this. Jesus stands alone. Okay, so that's a little bit of his resume as far as his deeds. But if I could dare say even more impressive or more powerful than that is his resume of his heart. You know, uh, there's this verse that says, I think it's Jeremiah, it says the heart is deceitfully evil above all things. And so someone who has a perfect heart, who has this incredible character, like that's better than any deeds you could do. Okay, so marveling at the king in his beauty. So his, his first coming, when Jesus came the first time, although it's God in the flesh, his, his glory was veiled. Um, he came to, a, uh, he came to Israel. There was people all over the world, many who didn't know that God came, that God walked in the flesh, that God died for them. So many didn't even have a clue. They didn't ignore Jesus. They just didn't know. So his glory, although powerful, the cross, all the wonders of the first coming, that's but a whisper of who God is. And so his second coming, it's, it's, it really is Jesus put in, in the spotlight for all to see. And so the, uh, just an analogy I thought of is my, my brother lives in Montana. Okay, cool, cool thing. There's this thing called gem hunting. So basically you get this big, you, they go to the mountains or somewhere and get a bunch of dirt. I don't know where they get it from. But then they, you buy a bucket of dirt and then you take your dirt and they got these metal like sieves, uh, kind of like a, a strainer. You pour the dirt on the thing. You put the, the sieve into the water. It removes all the dirt. You shake it. And if you're lucky, you find a little gemstone. Um, so we went sapphire, looked for sapphires which I thought were always blue, but mostly commonly they're white. So there's your fact of the day. Um, but so, okay, so we're doing this and like, it's exciting. Not every time you find one, when you find one, it's this little like glimmering thing down there. Um, and it's like, okay, this is kind of cool. So you get it, you wash it off, you're all excited. And you like hold it up to the sun and it like, it like majorly lets you down. Like there's like, it's all cloudy and it's rigid and there's, you can see all the cracks and little tiny things, but it's like, okay, that was, that looks cooler <laughs> when it was dirty. And so like, um, 
yeah, you take that stone and you hold it to the light and all of its imperfections are revealed. But with Jesus, you take Jesus and you put him in the spotlight of, I have all the powers of the, of the nations, I'm the king. His beauty glows all the more. There is, there is no per imperfection in him. And so he's like a well-polished, a cut diamond that you put up there. And it's it just his glory is revealed more when he's put to the light, unlike that gemstone. So uh, this is a, a verse I love. Uh, this is a good one to just chew on. It's, it's pretty simple, but the more you stare at it, it's like, oh my gosh. This verse in Isaiah 33, 17 says, your eyes will see or behold the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches far. There's that phrase that he's, he's called the king in his beauty. And again, I think that's primarily the, the, the inner beauty of his heart that's revealed. So at the, in the millennium, again, Lots of cool stuff happens at the burning center is the man, Christ Jesus. He's, he's the radiant one that really, again, I told you at the beginning, a kingdom is of the king. And so really that the king is the focus in the millennium. Point A, Jesus' beauty is displayed as he does kingly stuff. So the millennium, it's a kingdom. So there's real, like we think of any kingdom now or governments, like there's real meanings. If we had a president and they just like sat in their oval office and got a little basketball hoop on the wall and just like shot it all day, number one, that'd be really fun for them. But we would say like, you're not doing the kingly thing. You're like, what are you doing? So any kingdom means the king is going to be having all sorts of meetings and uh, talking with other leaders and new laws and strategies and figuring out problems and getting updates from the field with these, you know, our president doesn't know everything about everything. And so he brings in an expert, they give him, you know, the scoop, the lowdown, and then he processes and they talk it more like, so kings are busy guys. And so Jesus being the millennial king is no different. It's no, his kingdom is going to be like, obviously, it's going to have some major upgrades, but it's going to be very much a society with stuff going on. And so Jesus' beauty, it's really revealed in his interactions with people, in his words that he says, how he deals with people, the, the, just the presence that he carries. That we see Jesus clearly by the stuff that he does during the millennium. Point B, the Father's anointed king. This is fantastic uh, this could be a whole session. Uh, Psalm 45, too. You are most, speaking of Jesus, you are the most handsome of the sons of man. Grace is poured out on your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you or he's chosen you forever. Um, Jesus is the anointed one of the Father. From the very beginning, the Father has been wanting to restore all things. But there's a small problem. At the beginning, he said, you know, uh, man, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion over the earth. Basically, he's like, man is going to be the ruler of this world. But then the problem is every man has been sinful and fallen short. And so there's been no king who could like effectively rule and be trusted until Jesus, the sinless one. And so he's the anointed. If you think of like, I don't know what the, a good analogy is, but he's, it's like the father has been holding on to all of this power and glory and awesome things. Like he's been holding it and then he found Jesus and he's, he's, he finally found the one that he can pour and give everything. Uh, this verse, uh, I think it's another part of the notes, but it says he's into Jesus' hands have been committed all things. So his father has like fully endorsed uh, Jesus with all of his all of his might, all of his his power. He said, this is my king. This is the chosen one who I said would crush the head of the serpent. This is Jesus. He's the anointed king. 
And so specifically in the millennium, Isaiah 11 um, says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and might, of knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And so Jesus is blessed with, with the, full, the full anointing of the Holy Spirit given to rule his kingdom. He's the chosen one from his father. Next piece, his name will be adored by all nations. So there's, uh, so the, Jesus took over from the Antichrist. Antichrist's name was, was great in all of the nations of the earth. Like his name was great. Everyone knew Mr. Antichrist. It was, not, it was a household name. Uh, people served him, people worshiped him, but their worship was not, they didn't, people didn't like point at the Antichrist. I just love how he deals with people. He's so kind, like, I just love him. My heart is moved towards him. Like, that's not the kind of worship he receives. He receives the worship of, based on fear, saying, hey, I'm, I'm God, worship me, or I'll, I'll kill you. Okay, like, so his worship is not based primarily on Antichrist followers love the man that they've chosen. They, it's primarily based on fear. And so Jesus is, it's like different if your name is worshiped around the earth like it was uh, by and large with the Antichrist's name, but Jesus' name will be worshiped around the earth, but his worship will be tied to love. His people will praise him based on love. And so there's this verse... Flip over to page, top of page four, Psalm uh, 48, verse 10. So it says, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, your praise reaches the ends of the earth. So this verse is saying, just like your name is known all over the earth, well, your praise, like people, they don't just know your name, but they praise you, they worship you, they have this flowing heart of worship. So you're famous around the earth because of your goodness, because of your love. And then Proverbs uh, 29, 2, this was almost the verse of the session, but it, it got moved to here. Proverbs 29, 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. So just that phrase, when Jesus is in authority, he causes people to rejoice, to delight in him. And then finally, the, uh, uh, the beautiful king, uh, part of Jesus' uniqueness is he, he's the God-man ruling. So this whole principle, when he was alive on earth, he said, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so no different than the millennial king Jesus, every single, single thing he does is going to be in a direct faithfulness and revelation with the heart of a father. And truly, truly, you see the deeds that Jesus is doing as a man, and it's also like God doing the same deeds, saying the same words. And so it's, it's both joined together in him. Okay, point three, the sinless king. So again, I told you every, uh, the core issue of every empire, every king's fall is the issue of sin. And so Jesus is sinless. So every other king has battled this wretched weakness and troublesome sin, whether they acknowledged it or not, that was their biggest problem of why they weren't as influential, why they didn't get their agendas accomplished, why they got killed after six months. Like it was the issue of sin. And so um, often, you know, again, like that gemstone I told you, often when a king is set in place, their, their brokenness and their wickedness and their sin is the thing that gets magnified and seen more clearly. And with Jesus, it's, it's the exact opposite. 
Okay, so his, his sinless heart. So it's, it's one thing to, it's one thing for um, someone's deeds to be righteous. They, they do good deeds. Their deeds are, are pure. Um, they do good stuff for their people. It's like, it, it's obviously impossible, but it's very, very, very difficult to have pure deeds. But then how much more like to have a, a, like a sinless heart? So all the stuff that goes on that we don't say or the thoughts that we have that we don't. Uh, rightfully that we don't communicate um, so like to have again to have good deeds like a lot of there's a lot of good people and good kings that have had good deeds that's one thing but to have a, a, a completely free heart like that's that's a whole nother thing and so Jesus as a king like he he, he has no childhood trauma he has no um, terrible experience that happened to him that he's wounded by, that affects, you know, he deals with this person and he's projecting his own weakness on this person that he's leading. Like, Jesus has no walls. He has no defense mechanisms. He's got no, again, no, no brokenness, no wounding that he's, you know, you say something wrong to him that you were just trying to be nice and you said this one word that just presses a button and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're getting it. Like, Jesus has none of that. His heart is completely sinless. Obviously, he went through a pretty horrific, traumatic experience, the cross. But, like, even in that, like, what, when he was pressed, what came out was perfect, utter love. And so Jesus, as the, like, think of a king who has no, no strongholds, no insecurities, no... Um, like, there's nothing. Like, he's, from head to toe, he's completely light, sinless. And this verse in 1 John is, is incredible. 1 John 1, 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So Jesus has every, every thought and intention of his heart. Jeremiah says of man is wicked. But every thought and intention, every intention of Jesus' heart as the king is fully pure, fully good. That's, that's incredible. There's no, there's no traffic in his mind. There's no wake up and you're feeling funky and now you have to talk to your friends, but you're just feeling funk. Like, Jesus ain't funky. He might like funk music, but he ain't funky. And so this last, the last sentence there, to have a, a uh, point A, to have a sinless man and to have him be the one at the helm with all the power and be the voice that people listen to, like this is going to change everything that we have known about being part of a kingdom, being part of a government, being led by a man. Well, Jesus is the sinless king. He's the same in private as in the public eye. There's an unfortunate reality that there's and, uh, politicians are, are, I think, one of their most redemptive qualities is they're really good actors, uh, meaning they're, they're really good at saying the right words and then, okay, not everyone, there's righteous politicians, but we see it a lot where there's, they may say all the right answers, good things, and then like behind the scenes, they're just, they're just a jerk. They're like wicked men. Like they got issues. And so like there, there's a difference between platform, I'm, I know what I'm supposed to say to get people's hearts to follow me, and then I go in a meeting and I'm just like, I'm, I'm a completely different person. And with Jesus, he's, he's the same. I gave you Hebrews, 11, or Hebrews 13. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same on the stage singing. He's, he's a, the same in front of people. When he's in the same. Like he's, he's always the same. It's never public Jesus, private Jesus. It's, it's the same man through and through and through and through. And, 
again, no other king, like Jesus doesn't use political language or, you know, play the game of politics. Like he's just, he's just real and authentic and vulnerable. And that is so attractive. And we're just going to be so in awe of like, we have a meeting with Jesus and then we're hanging out. It's like, you're, you're, you just address like all the world somehow through whatever we're on a sea of glass like worshiping you and then you stepped down and like I had a meeting with you and it's like you're the same guy like that's pretty cool well it continues so Jesus as the sinless man he, he has a, a heart that's uncorrupted by power so there's a, a verse that rings true um, unfortunately too often power tends to corrupt absolute power corrupts absolutely Meaning the more power you're given, it's bad news for you, person. Um, Jesus, he's not like that. He, he's not selfish. He doesn't go after selfish gain. I gave you Psalm 72. says, all kings bow down before him and all nations serve him. He's got all the power, which again is more than any other king. But he, he, there's no lust for power in Jesus' heart. There's no, I got to get more, I got to get more, I got to get more. I got to, you know, make sure I don't do this thing or like make sure I don't lose this power because I want to, I want to, I want to have all the power and more. Like there's, there's just like, every, so many kings and leaders in history, you read your history books, like they're, they're driven by this insatiable desire for power. And Jesus just doesn't have that. It's like, he's been given it all. And he's just like, like he's grateful, obviously. I don't want to make light of it, but he's just like, cool. Like, what, what do you want to talk about? You want to eat some mac and cheese? And like, what, what do you, I, mean, I don't know. He's like, he's just a normal guy. He's not corrupted by power. He's not chasing that. I mean, you think of that king, like just rooted in sin and selfishness. Like you're just having a casual conversation and it's going to come up in some form or capacity. This lust for power is going to be manifest through something they say. But Jesus, it's just, it's just not even an issue. And part of that is, is Jesus is going to be free from control. Again, he's not going to be constantly have his arms around his kingdom and everyone that wants to do a different thing. Or Jesus is not going to be worrying about, you know, am I going to get reelected? Or like, am I going to lose influence in the polls? Or like, you know, this camp over here is standing against me and I gave a word and they're not listening. Like Jesus, he's just, he's not going to have a spirit of control. And that's... You know, the prophetic history, Mike Bickle, there's just, there's just so much, uh, the spirit of control is just such a dangerous thing that leaders have to navigate. Um, and Jesus, is, he just doesn't have the spirit of control. He's just like, not at all worried about people's opinions or keeping them in line. Like, he's just like, doesn't want to control people. After all, he did like make diet on the cross and said, I, I give you the choice whether you want to like accept this or not. And so he's, he's not a controlling guy, not a control freak. All of his works are done in perfect uprightness. So um, every single one of Jesus' words, are, his deeds are done in truth. Again, a number, um, I don't mean to rip on politicians, but another one of politicians' strengths is making big promises and under-delivering. And so Jesus, he's going to make some big promises, rebuilding the earth for a thousand years so that it's ready for his father. Like, kind of a big promise. Well, he, he's going to deliver on every single word. He's not going to have a mouth that's just, you know, talking the talk. Like, Jesus is going to be, his words are going to be one. Everything he says, every work he begins, he's going to see it through till the end. Like, everything is, all of his lips, his words are going to be perfect righteousness, every deeds. Um, and so, uh, 
Yeah, everything that he does and says is going to be perfect, perfectly righteous. Um, and again, like earthly kings can do a lot of good stuff, but even, you know, every leader that's accomplishing a lot of stuff, you know, they can all have a, a Twitter account that they can be abusing and things. And so Jesus is not going to have any of that. Okay, so uh, Psalm 48, 10. Just give you this before we move on. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. And then the last phrase, your hand, your right hand is filled with righteousness. All that he does is, is righteous. Okay, so let's, another aspect of Jesus's uniqueness. He's the one who's complete in wisdom and understanding. So again, he, as far as the kingdom he inherits, it's, it's pretty much the worst, like, you know, example from history a king has a really kingdom has really cool stuff kingdom going on there's commerce there's business there's stuff happening new king who's more powerful comes in takes over defeats the army kind of inherits the systems of that you know that kingdom well jesus what he inherits is is this verse i'll just i'll just read it to you um sorry give me a second here yeah, what he inherits is Isaiah 24, 1. Uh, See, the Lord is going to lay waste to the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. So Jesus is inheriting rubble. And he's got this job of, I'm going to prepare the earth for the Father to come down. And I got rubble to start with. And so he's, he's, got, a lot, he's got a tall task. Oh, and, and rubble in every nation, not just... What, like, every, like he's the king of the earth and it's all rubble and destroyed and the mountains are crazy and there's all the stuff that we've been studying in Revelation. Like it's a mess. And so he, he kind of rolls up his sleeves. He's like, let's get to work. So no other, no other king could even like succeed 1% at rebuilding the earth from rubble. Like, but Jesus is going to fully and utterly do it all. So it's a monumental task before him. Well, he's the one that possesses all wisdom and understanding and knowledge. This is a really good thing if you're going to rebuild the earth from rubble. Psalm 147.5, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And so he's going to be the brilliant, I mean, he's the Genesis one God who like made all things, who made gravity, who made Put the sun in the sky. Like he, he, he's really smart and really good at, at everything, but not just his knowledge of all things, but he, he's, he's, he's going to be the master delegator. He's going to like, like Instagram is going to be filled with hashtag delegate and it's going to be all of Jesus' stuff. Like he's going to be perfect at understanding and knowing that this person is really smart, really good at that. They were this brilliant engineer and why they were alive. So like, Duh, like, why wouldn't I put them in charge of rebuilding the infrastructure of this nation? Like, yeah, that makes sense. And so he's, he's going to be the master, like, delegator. And again, he's a man, so he cannot go around, you know, like, flash uh, the superhero and buzz around and fix, re- like, that's not how he rebuilds the earth. He rebuilds the earth through his people. And so you got to be pretty good at delegating, again, to rebuild the earth from rubble. You got to be pretty good at signing people what they're good at and having meetings to touch base with them and give them insight. Like Jesus is going to be the master delegator and the master empowerer of others. And that's something that is, is really cool because who is he going to delegate to? You and me. And so 
Yeah. Okay. So next part, he will, Jesus will judge with complete wisdom and faithfulness and fairness. Psalm 67, may the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule your people with equity and guide the nations of the earth. And so, um, So Jesus is going to be, you know, there's, it's another one of our sessions, but there's these, in the millennium, there's a group of resistors who Jesus comes back, they get saved, they don't have resurrected bodies, they love Jesus, but they're still, a, like, they still have sin in their lives. And so there's lots of people that are going to be figuring out, okay, king of righteousness, like, new laws, new things he's saying, like, they're not going to instantly have everything figured out and have like conquered over sin. Like there's still going to be elements of human weakness for sure in the millennium. And so there's going to be conflict in nations. You know, Jesus said, I, I ended all wars, but there's these two nations that are not getting along and they're just starting to try to fight. And Jesus is like, ah, like, no. And so they're like, Jesus is going to be the perfect peacemaker and counselor and the, the wonderful counselor and help um, the nations of the earth with that. Okay. And then uh, the creator of perfect, perfect law. And so we're, again, we're talking about Jesus' brilliance. He, he's going to, uh, again, he inherited rubble. So he's going to essentially reestablish all of the foundations of how the earth works, how we do life, how nations are built, what we do, what we govern, the food systems, the, the commerce, the transportation, the communication, like all of it. He's going to basically reboot, you know, uh, uh, it's got an image of a computer with a really slow reboot, but um, he's, he's going to reboot all of the systems of the earth. And so he's going to create perfect, perfect laws that are, are like the most brilliant things that like cause every nation to flourish. So this is uh, Psalm 19. I'm just going to read you the underlying stuff, which this is all about the, the laws of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord. And so when, he, when he's in charge doing his commandments, this is what, what happens. So these, some of these phrases are, it causes our soul to be refreshed. It makes wise the simple. It gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes. And all of his laws, all of his ways are righteous and more precious than gold. And so Jesus at the helm, like his laws are going to build up the nations and do all those things, cause joy and wisdom and light. Like that's going to be what his laws, what his wise laws impart to the nations. Well, he's also going to, um, he's going to be, he's going to have more um, wisdom and understanding than even Solomon. And if you guys remember the verse, uh, passage, 1 Kings 10, basically Solomon was the man. He's like, Lord, give me wisdom. And then the Lord gave it to him. And he was leading the nations and like foreign kings, including this queen of Sheba, she like heard about Solomon and all that he was doing. And she like traveled from an obnoxious amount away. Um, she didn't take a plane. She traveled her caravan. She came. She's like, I just got to see what Solomon, like, what is he doing? And when she came, she's like, the phrase I underlined was she was overwhelmed. She's like, I heard about your works. And I'm like, like it, they pale. What I heard pales in comparison to what I'm seeing in action. And so Jesus, very much in the same way, the nations are going to like marvel at Jesus' beauty, his wisdom, because Jesus is king over the earth and not all the nations, all the people are going to be in Jerusalem all the time seeing all of Jesus' deeds. Like it's going to be someone that's loving Jesus in China and they're going to 
The Bible tells us in some passages they're going to come at least once a year uh, to Jerusalem and this worship feast moment. Um, but most of the time they're going to be in China and Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem. And so there's not this constant interaction. And so there's going to be this like, um, like the game of telephone, this but really good telephone, this passing of Jesus' deeds and his wisdom. And people are going to hear like, he's doing what? Like, last time I saw that, that was a mound of ashes and dirt and like he did he built what or he set up what system and how these plants are like flourishing and growing like what like they're going to marvel at his deeds and his wisdom and uh, Micah 4 tells us many nations will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the temple of God because he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths and so there's going to be this yearning the nation's yearning to hear his wisdom Okay, so he's fully wise, he's fully sinless, and he's also the one who's perfect in humility, perfect in loneliness. And so he's going to be the king. Again, he's been given the most power of any man, and he's going to be 100% completely free of all pride. So just imagine the king, you have all of the power over the earth, you have all of the worship saying, you're awesome, Jesus, you're awesome, you're amazing, like... Gosh, you're so smart. You're really cool. You're amazing. Like any of us, we would just let that get to our head in like three seconds and we'd be prideful and, you know, whatever. And so like Jesus does not have any of that. Like he somehow he balances all the worship, all the power, but there's no pride in his heart. There's no there's no boasting. It's not like he's going <laughs> to go around and be like, man, did you see that? Wasn't that a really tall building, like super cool? Man, wasn't that really smart what I did right there? Like, he's not going to be drawing attention to himself. He's just going to be the man on mission, the man full of love. He's going to be completely free from pride. I don't even know how to talk about it because those two, like, so don't get along in my head. Like, all the power and zero pride, fully humble. Like, I just, I I can't process what that means. So maybe you're better at it than me, but he's going to be free of pride. That's going to be amazing. Well, his humility earns him unspeakable riches. Again, Jesus is the king of all nations. That means he has all the power, all the cool stuff, more than any other man, all the treasures. And that's because he's humble. Psalm 72 Sorry, wrong verse. Um, Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 22, 4. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. And then Psalm 18. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So he's going to have all the honor. He's also going to, when most kings, leaders, they see they, whatever power they have, again, not even close to Jesus, but whatever power, influence they have, they're even if they say it or not, just because of the brokenness of the human heart, in a lot of ways, they're probably trying to build up their name, their reputation, secure their legacy. I want to be known for this. Like, there's just a lot of like self-focus in a lot of earthly kings. But Jesus, he's he's going to be plotting. He's going to be whiteboarding. That's one for you, Brad. He's going to be plotting. Um, and you seeing his platform as, I, I got this biggest platform in history of mankind. Like, how can I serve others? How can I give more? How can I do more to bless the people? How can I better the nation of Mongolia? Like, what can I do for them that they can really, like, 
benefit them, cause them to flourish. Like he's going to be brainstorming like how to use his power to serve, not at all thinking, how do I keep my kingdom? How do I get this person to be quiet because they're going to break free from my control? Like he's just like plotting, how do I serve? What do I do? And that's just not at all the thought process of mankind. Um, David, he did pretty good at this thing. Psalm, or First Chronicles 14, 2, said, David knew that the Lord had established him over king of Israel and that his kingdom had been highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. So David was aware that, God, you put me in place so I could bless your people, and Jesus is the same even more than David. So now there's another scandalous idea. Um, it's in the same chapter of the book of Daniel. Let's just read it. Daniel 7, speaking of Jesus, it says, He was given authority, glory, power over all nations and peoples. His dominion is everlasting, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So basically, he's been given all things. He's been entrusted. He's like, you know, got the reward. He's, he's the righteous king. It's all his. And then just a few verses down, it says, then sovereignty and power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. So it's like Jesus is like, he's playing hot potato with power. He's like, he inherited it. He got the hot potato. He's like, I got everything. He's like, ah, give it to the people. Like he, he is that, like what other king, like, you know, gets the celebration moment. All the peoples are like, you did it. You're the king. And then like gives it all away. That's every other king is like, receives it, relishes in the moment. And Jesus is like, again, he's playing hot potato with power. He's, he gives it away to his people. And that's just like, you can't get any more than humble than have everything and then give it away. That's just, it's just mind-blowing. The law, you know, the most anticipated moment, he died on the cross. He's been waiting thousands of years for this in heaven. He's like, I'm going to get all things. And then he gets it and then he gives it away. <laughs> Yeah, it just messes me up. It's just, that's beautiful. Point E, he will defend the cause of the poor. So every every other king, or a lot of kings, see the poor, uh, the lowly, the, like, there's nothing that the poor can offer me. I'll try to be their uh, friends. I'll try to say the good political speech so that people think I'm, I like the poor. But to be honest, most kings, especially if they don't love Jesus, most kings just use the poor for their own gain, to be honest. And so Jesus, uh, Psalm 72, I'll just skip to the top of page nine, where he's, uh, the underlined phrase, I'll just, I'll just read the whole phrase. So it says, Sorry, bottom page eight. It says, For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save them from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Jesus loves the poor. And not just because they, if I love the poor, I'll get reelected. He loves the poor. You know, he, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. That wasn't just a you know, to get followers. Like he, he did that back then. He's going to do it again. Like whatever the poor of the earth looks like in the millennial kingdom with people living for hundreds of years, there's still, someone's going to be poor. Um, and so Jesus is like the friend of poor. Again, just, he just loves them. He just, he doesn't treat them any different than you and I. He doesn't treat them any different than the most powerful, prestigious person. He doesn't have that 
you know, I can't think of the word, but the sin of partiality, he's got none of that. Like, he loves the poor, he loves the rich alike. He loves the poor. That's unusual for a king. He is a priest forever. You know, Psalm 110 says that. You are a priest forever. You can't be a priest. Like, being a priest necessitates that you're serving something, someone. That's what a priest does. They are a servant. And so Jesus is going to be a priest forever. He's, he didn't just lay, you know, wash his disciples' feet or be a servant of all his first coming. And then he's like, now I got all the glory. I can finally be served. Like, that's not Jesus. He's going to be, he's going to outshine all of us. It's going to be like, we're going to be having a good day. Like, I served 20 people today. And we look at Jesus and it's like, dang, like, he just still got me beat. He's going to be the servant of all. And he's, he's the pre, a priest forever. Like, he's going to be serving his, his father, worshiping. Um, it's not, the picture is not Jesus on his throne. We're all worshiping him all the time. There's going to be that, but there's going to be absolutely moments. Hebrews says, in the midst of the congregation, in the midst of the brothers, I will praise you. Jesus is going to step down from his throne and he's going to be worshiping right along as David leads all of us in David and David Brimer lead us all in glorious um, worship. Jesus is going to be right there. He's like, no, no, you lead the prayer meeting. Like, I'm one of your brothers. Like, I'm a priest forever, man. And he's going to worship the Father. So, so humble. So humble. Preparing the earth for his father. Um, uh, John 17.1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Give me all the glory, Father, so that I can give the glory back to you. Jesus is in the millennial kingdom. The end of the game is welcoming the Father to the earth. Jesus' whole mission or a big part of his mission of the millennium is his excitement of his heart. I'm going to make the earth and the people ready. I'm going to make this the most beautiful thing ever for my father. That's his heart process. He's not making his kingdom so everyone looks at the amazing things he built. He's, he's thinking, I'm building for my father. My father gives me the glory. I give it back to you. Now the Trinity, we're, we're passing the hot potato. I serve you. You glorify me. I love you. The Holy Spirit loves. It's just forever. That's, that's forever. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We just get added to the mix. And now we're all serving, loving, worship, blessing. So he is so humble. Well, the next one. This is the last one. Yeah. He is full of joy. This is, I just love this one. So the ultimate enemy of joy is sin. Remember that Isaiah 25, it, sin is a shroud over. You got a, a burning light of joy and you put a shroud of sin over it. Now it's like, dang. <laughs> I had joy, but sin, dang. And so the one who's, Jesus is the one who is, he's free from sin. And so he's going to be, he's going to be joy manifest in a person walking around all that he does and says. So again, joy is not just happy giggling on the floor all the time. Like, when I think of joy, I think of like this deep, deep contentment, love for life, selfless, thinking of others, just enjoying the simple things. He's going to be the most rich, joyful man ever. So he's anointed with the oil of gladness. Um, Psalm 45 says, you love righteousness. Speaking of Jesus, you hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions, or he's anointed you above your companions with the oil of joy, the oil of gladness. I like to think of it as this way, like Jesus' heart is so pure, 
Um, doesn't actually work like this, but his heart is like so pure, like all of the molecules of his heart are like vibrating. It's like, we gotta, we gotta be expressed somehow. We're so pure, we're so holy, like we gotta be expressed and it's manifest in what I think is one of the primary ways, it's manifest in joy. Holiness is manifest in joy. That's what this verse says. It says, you're anointed with oil of gladness because you love righteousness, because you hate wickedness. And so it's like, he's so holy that he has to like, it has to be seen. And how that's expressed is this, again, this deep joy that is just, I think is gonna be the one of the areas, one of the reasons we love him most is because he's, he's joyful. I mean, in the gospels, he was the guy that all the kids wanted to be around. And kids, they don't, they know, you know, they know where the goods are at. And, and so uh, all the kids are like, wanted to be Jesus' best friend. And he's going to be anointed with the oil of gladness. Uh, point B, a king that everyone wants to be around. So again, Jesus is going to be, he's going to be the guy in all of the, like we're going we're gonna to love hanging out with the Apostle Paul, hanging out with David, your favorite, favorite Bible character. But we're all going to be like, just when we're thought, and there's going to be no sin. So it's not like we're going to be like, you know, with King David and be like, man, I wish I was with Jesus. But Jesus is going to be the guy that everyone wants to be around. Like he's, he's going to be so full of joy. It's going to be contagious. And again, when I think of joy, I think mostly, um, again, just this like enjoyment in the small things. Like it doesn't matter. Like he's having a meeting or he's having, like he's just enjoying life, the small things. He's, it's like us now just taking a walk in our neighborhood that's not, too awesome, but just like taking it all in and talking, like being just so overflowing. Thank you, Lord. Like just enjoying the small, simple things. And Jesus is going to be that king that is just the one that everyone wants to be around. Okay, he will delight in his people. Top of page 10. You've probably heard this verse, Zephaniah 3. 16, 17, just says like Jesus is singing over you, dancing over you. He's rejoicing over his people. And that's like true like now, I'm sure. But this verse, like the ultimate fulfillment, is actually talking about the millennium. It says, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem. So this verse is primarily, again, we can apply it now. Jesus, you're singing, dancing over me. It's great. But like ultimately this is like in the millennium. Jesus is, again, he's not just the guy sitting on the throne, worship me. It's like, He's going to be singing and rejoicing and dancing over you and I, just delighting in his people, this big, this big, you know, party of joy, this just, that's, that's what it's going to be about. So that's what, how, one of the ways Jesus' joyful heart's going to be manifest, just delighting, ever looking for every opportunity to connect, connect with us, to know how things are going, to hear an update, to hear how our hearts are doing, to hear what part of the millennial kingdom is our favorite, like, to hear what we're, we're doing, what projects we're working on. Like, he's going to be desiring all of that. His delight is going to be in his father. Um, he's going to be like David, who danced before the ark, you know, went crazy <laughs> before the presence of God out of an overflowing heart. Like, that's going to be Jesus. And, uh, you know, when we think of David doing that, or we think of the, the David's one thing vision, it's not, you know, oh, you know, Jesus... Jesus was doing the David thing. He's dancing before the ark. It's like, it's really the other way around. Like, David was doing the Jesus thing, meaning David was just a shadow. If he's dancing before the ark is really cool, like, how much more is Jesus going to be delighting in his father? And so, uh, yeah, so I thought that was catchy. So David's, David's not doing, Jesus isn't doing a David's thing. David's doing a Jesus thing. I thought that was catchy, so Tom's enjoying it, so we're happy. 
Okay, it will be his joy to give. The Bible says, Acts, <clears throat> Acts 20, it's more blessed to give than receive. And again, Jesus is going to be looking for ways to serve. He's going to be the one, again, the one with all. So he's the one who's going to love giving the most. And how cool is it that he's going to, one, he's going to be the one that has all the wealth, all the resources. Like, if you want to give someone everything, you want to give it to the guy who loves giving the most. Like, that makes sense, you know? Read between the lines. Um, and so Jesus, it's going to be his joy, again, not to earn political favor, cre credibility. He's just, he's just overflow of his heart. He can't stop giving. He, he doesn't have an on-off switch. It's just on autopilot ingrained in Jesus's God's DNA. I have to, like, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving. That's just, that's who he is. He's a giver. It's going to be his joy to give. And then finally, Song of Solomon 5, 13 um, it says his cheeks are like beds of spices yielding perfume. So the picture is there just, um, Jesus is going to have such rich and diverse emotions. He's not going to be a stoic king sitting on the throne with a scepter, you know, kind of like looking off into the distance and aloof. And we're like, okay, you're cool. You're king. You're a little weird. Like his, he's going to be so like, Jesus, his heart's going to be wide open. He's going to wear his heart on his sleeve. Like, you, you're not going to be wondering what Jesus is thinking, feeling. Like, his face, his emotions, his words, his interactions with you, his hugs. Like, you, you're going to, we're going to feel and see this king living with full and complete joy all the time. And it's just going to be incredible. Okay, well, um, I'm just going to share this next part, um, a vision of Jesus the king. Um, worship leader, you can make your way up. Hopefully I won't go too long on this. So I, I had this vision, um, and I don't get a lot of visions. Um, uh, I had one day in the prayer room, right here, right over where Arlen's sitting, so Lord, increase. <laughs> um, I don't even remember if I was, what I was praying about, but anyways, so I had this, this, dream, or this vision where... It was of Jesus, I was in the millennial kingdom and I was some sort of like project manager and I was going to have a meeting with Jesus to get like, the project just started, it's phase one, I've been tackling that, overseeing that and now it's phase two, Jesus is going to tell me what that's about and kind of give me the new instructions. So I had, so I had an appointment with Jesus and so I was going up this, um, climbing this hill, walking on this path, there's these big, big stone doors that... Um, you know, I don't know if this is what it actually looks like, but this is just what he showed me. Um, big stone doors. I opened up in this uh, long, narrow corridor. Um, walking through this building, there was just incredibly beautiful, ornate wood uh, walls on both sides, and these like this trough of plants, incredible stuff, and there was smells, and it would. It almost had the feeling of like Christmas time, where you're like, it just something is in the air. It just feels joyful or different. It was, it was kind of, it's the best way I can describe it, but I was just so happy. I'm like, I got a meeting with Jesus. And so I was, I was going and, uh, Jesus like comes out of the, you know, comes out of the room up ahead and he just like meets me in the hallway. He doesn't even let me like get through his doors. He's like, I'm coming out to meet you. He's just like smiling. He comes and gives me a hug. He just, uh, he just like starts talking to me about, you know, how are you doing? Like, what's going on? And we just have this a few minutes of just connecting. Um, and then he, he brings me into his office, and it's this, uh, um, if you've seen Star Wars, uh, it's kind of like the, 
and I'm going to get the words wrong, but it's, gonna, it's like the Jedi room where all the Jedis meet, and there's those big glass windows, and then there's like the view of the city with the ships flying by. Um, so if you're not a Star Wars fan, I'm sorry. But there is, anyways, there's this room, and these big, incredible glass windows, and the, the, the city was out um, behind it. And we just sit down at a table, and uh, Jesus was like, you know, um, doing his hands, excited. And he's like, I- I've been waiting to share this with you. Like, I've been so excited to have you here. And he starts to unfold this, this plan of phase two of what I was working on. And as he's doing it, um, in the vision, I can't, like, make out the words. But I just, like, my heart starts burning. And, like, I'm, like just such brilliant words, masterful. There's joy. Like, I know this is going to be so helpful. And so he's, he's sharing all that with me. My heart is burning. Um, and then he stops. Uh, he stops. And then he's like, well, what do you... Like, what do you think? And so we're going, we're going back and forth. And so that's, that's kind of the vision. Um, and so the, the focus of the vision wasn't, cool, Luke, you got a millennial assignment. The focus of the vision was, was really the heart of Jesus. And uh, so uh, point A, just some, some takeaways that I had from this was the whole time Jesus as the millennial king, again, I was going to a business meeting and before, during, and after, like, he was just like, wanted to know what was going on in my life and wanted to know like he was asking me like how like the word we use like how's your heart doing like he said that phrase to me and he was just like the whole way through he was like business meeting we have something to accomplish but like above that like I just want to be your friend like what's going on and so there was this this deep yearning in his heart as a busy king to like know the details of my life and he was throughout the whole time he was so uh, just so present and so joyful like his if you've been in a meeting with someone and you've you know they're like in the meeting but their head is somewhere else and you can tell and get glazed over look in their eyes like he was just like so focused on every like, like he was there in the moment with me you know running the king running the universe and he's like he's there with me didn't care like there's like nothing else matters to him right now than this this moment with me and um, he, he was mostly just listening, asking questions to me. He wasn't doing a lot of talking. He was listening. He would, he would like lean in and then just like give this look in, my, in his eye that's like, I, I want to hang on to every single word that you say. Like, I, I care, Luke. And he was, he was just like, it was like every word I was saying, he was just like in awe of. And it was like so precious to him. And then he was just so unbelievably humble. Uh, me, like I, I knew I was sitting before the presence of the king, but he didn't have, again, the boastful, he just had this, what I call like quiet authority. Like it's, it's like I knew he was the king, but he was so disarmingly humble. I didn't feel, like I felt like fully I could be myself. It was disarming humility. And I, I knew that he was my leader and that he was my best friend. And there was even, my favorite part of the vision was uh, once he shared his plan with me, he's like, what do you think, Luke, about this plan? And he, uh, I said a few things, uh, you know, like, oh, it'd be cool if we did this. He, in the vision, he took out a pencil, right? So he had, you know, his notes prepared, cool phase two plan right out in front of him. He took out a pencil and he erased what he, some of what he had written, he wrote my new plan, like, he wrote the words that I say in there, and then he read it back to me, he's like, what do you think now? And I was like, 
I like it. And he's like, he just gave me a thumbs up. He's like, me too. And so I'm just like, the humble king that he gives us a say. And so just to wrap up here, like, I hope I just stirred your imagination that Jesus as the king is much bigger than just the millennium and how our life is going to look. I'm grateful to study that, but it's, it's really that the pinnacle is the most beautiful jewel put in the place of greatest prominence for everyone to see. It's the real gold of the millennial kingdom is Jesus. And I hope that uh, just tonight gave some new thoughts and revelation. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.